When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You're listening to the Game Makers Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to listen to how Ubisoft games are made. I'm Charles Adam Foster Simard. Assassin's Creed is one of Ubisoft's most beloved franchises, an action-adventure RPG series. Each game is set in a different historical period, the Crusades, Renaissance Italy, and Ancient Greece among them. The latest game in the series just came out, it's called Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and it's set in the Viking era. You play as Eivor as they lead their fellow Vikings from Norway to 9th century England. The original soundtrack for Assassin's Creed Valhalla was written by three extraordinary composers, Jesper Kidd, Sarah Schachner, and Einar Selvig. They composed nearly six hours of music for the game and all three collaborated together on the main theme. We wanted to understand a little bit more about their process, so in this set of episodes, each composer will be discussing a track in particular that they wrote for the game. For this episode, we're taking a closer listen to Einar Selvig's song House Brjotter Skullcrusher. Einar is a Norwegian musician and composer well-known for his band Wardruna and their work on the soundtrack of the History Channel television series Vikings. Einar worked on a lot of the in-game music you'll hear as you play, the songs sung by the musician characters you'll encounter in the world, and by the crew of your Viking longship. I first asked Einar to take me back to the very beginning of his involvement with the project. When I was approached by Ubisoft, they were already quite familiar with my music. They had been using quite a lot of it as temporary music for their gameplay. It's a comfortable universe for me to, to work with. And, uh, and I've been asked quite a few times from other games as well to do the score. But I don't know, I'm, I'm quite picky about the projects I want to spend time on because I... I 
I think it needs, uh, yeah, it needs to be done right, and it needs to have the right intentions in terms of how you want to tell the story or how you want to portray this time period or or the music. Um, what kind of space you're allowed to work with. And what was it uh, about Assassin's Creed Valhalla when the team came to you? What was it about that game or this project that made you say, yeah, I think I, I can add something to that and, and this is an interesting one for me? Assassin's Creed, when they visit the time period, it is fantasy combined with historical facts. Uh, so that premise was, of course, something I had to accept. Um, also, in terms of the overall impression I got was that they were very ambitious in terms of how they envisioned it and um, the seriousness of the things they wanted to to tell with this game and, and implement into it was quite impressive. And also their vision of the music. They seem to have quite a lot of focus on it. Mm-hmm. Of course, music is one thing, but also you have to remember that the old Norse society was an oral one. Um, it was an oral culture. And so the, the skulls, the storytellers and the poets were quite central figures, important in many ways. You know, if in an oral society, these people were, um, they were kind of the news forecaster, the genealogist, the storyteller, the keeper of the traditional myths, um, all at the same time. And of course, they were the entertainers as well. My involvement in the game is very much focused on that, uh, or that's kind of the core of it that we work out from, uh, where I create songs in a sort of skaldic format, uh, either writing Old Norse lyrics that are um, very much related to the story of the given place we're working in, uh, the territory or the the, the quest, or uh, I use relevant uh, Old Norse poetry. And so this will be the music that you will hear when you're inside the longhouse or at a market or at a ship. This is the the in-game music that characters will will be actually singing or playing inside the game. Exactly. That's a big part of it. But in addition to that, some of these skaldic songs will be more featured for special missions and and such, um, where they will get a more produced format where I elaborate more into the soundscape that uh, is more familiar to the people who know my music and work with Wodruna. Um, So a selection of these songs will have that sort of amplified format. Well, let's dig into the song that we're discussing, um, which I'm not going to pronounce it right, but it's House Brioter Skull Crusher. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. House Brioter. <laughs> it's a, it, it's a tongue twister. So <laughs> It is a tongue twister for me. Yeah, it is for me as well. So. <laughs> And this song, is it poetry that you wrote or is this something that came from an existing um, poem? This is uh, from an existing poem. Uh, It's a very vivid (laughs) description of a skull being uh, chopped in two, basically. 
But the poem was originally uh, written by um, a skald called Eivindur Skadlaspillir. It's basically describing a battle between the Norwegians and the Danes uh, originally. It's it's such a brilliant piece of poetry. I wanted to, I felt that it fits so well in the Assassin's Creed universe, which is a, a quite violent one. I have to say, like, if you, if you go into Old Norse battle poetry, you know, if you think black metal or death metal lyrics are brutal, they're nothing compared to <laughs> to Old Norse uh, battle poetry. That's uh, it's pretty vivid and and. Uh, but really, like, um, poetic at the same time. So uh, they make beautiful poems out of really grim stuff. I feel that very often when Nordic or Norse music is... Uh, portrayed in various productions made by people who have no clue about Nordic music. Uh, one of the things that very often lacks is that they choose wrong rhythms. Mm. By wrong, you mean that they're not um, traditional or they, they don't fit with the, the style properly? I can't say that it's wrong, but it's very often too much focus on beats that go in four. Which, of course, is present, but when you go into the oldest traditional stuff and also the oldest song tradition, when you analyze the patterns there, it's, it's more of things that go in three or in five or in seven. Uh, this is a, the song Hausbrot, uh, the Skull Crusher, is um, a song that goes in three. Well, you're talking about the beat, so can you tell me, is there a specific, because you're, you're saying so usually they're in three or five or seven, does that come with a different emotional charge if you're in three verses and five? Like, what, what does that do when you have that kind of bass beat that's in three, for example? Personally, I think that it's a little bit unusual for people, but I, I think a lot of these things are, are more um, suggestive in a way. Um, yeah. Draws you in. Um, it's sort of uh, crooked beats. But the trick is to to make them feel logical in a, in a way, and um, mm-hmm. I guess that's uh, being an old drummer. That used to be my main instrument, so uh, of course that's something I focus a lot on. Use weird beats, but make them feel natural, and it can vary. It depends also on the poetry, how much of a leading role the poetry has. Often I tend to let the poetry decide the, the beat, so you get a good flow of it, especially when the poetry, uh, like in many of these cases, were sort of the backbone. And so when you're starting to write the song, so you said you're going from the poetry first and then figuring out what kind of rhythm there is to it in- inherently to create the beat for the song. Mm. Um, do you then sing over, like do, when you're working out the vocals, do you, do you sing over just the beat at first or how does it come together? Or do you just kind of sing the poem without any other instrument to kind of get that, that rhythm from the, from the words? Yeah, sometimes I do that. Uh, on this project, of course, the string instrument we, we chose to focus most on because 
it was the most, uh, as far as we know, the most common string instrument. It's a lyre. Mm. Um, so I use different types of lyres. And that's an instrument that sort of very effortlessly accompanies song. So it's an instrument that makes a lot of sense to work with. Also, it keeps me within the limitations of that instrument as well, which is quite important because a lot of these instruments are quite limited in the range, uh, depending on how you tune them, of course. But so why is that use? Oh, because once you have the lyre, you know that you're within that range. Yes, that, so, exactly. Okay, okay. So it kind of sets you in a certain direction and in yeah. a certain range yeah. for what for what you're going to add afterwards. You know, the lyre is an instrument that's been around all over the world for like at least five, six thousand years. Mm -hmm. You know, they had it in Egypt, in ancient Greece, in, in Persia. Um, it's quite a simple, at the base, it's quite a simple instrument. It's absolutely. just strings stretched over wood, right? Or over, over whatever. Yeah, with a bridge. And um, yeah. yeah, on this song, I use uh, a Norwegian lyre called uh, Kravik Lyra. So that's a seven, seven string lyre. Um, that extra string, the most common is six string, and that extra string that gives me actually a, a lot more um, wiggle room uh, melodically, and uh, I get more chords. And these instruments, you can either pick them like a harp, or you can um, strum them mm. and stop strings. By stopping certain strings, you create different chords. So you can play it like a guitar, basically. Yeah, so for this song, that was sort of the guiding point of uh, the melodic universe I explored. And this song, actually, when you hear it in the game, uh, it will feel quite different. You know, the, the Skaldic version is very different in a way to the yeah. produced one. Um, it only has sort of the middle part. It's almost more um, jolly, I would say. <laughs> Uh, it, and of course, I, I really felt that the more produced version needed to dive more into the feeling, the atmosphere of the lyrics itself. So I highlighted certain uh, parts of the melody of the verse and sort of uh, worked myself out, uh, from, from there. And of course, in these produced versions also, I stand more freely in terms of tonality and, uh, of course, instrumentation. It's funny that you say that it's more jolly in the Skaldic version because I was I was re-listening to it before our conversation and I had the thought that it was quite an upbeat song, actually. Um, I find it's quite, yeah, it's there's something kind of jolly, a little bit like jiggy to it, um, even in the produced version. It's definitely not a dark song. Uh, <laughs> definitely not. It's more... Um, more victorious mm. in in a way like uh, yeah you you um you didn't lose <laughs> you won <laughs> basically the skull the skull of your enemy has been crushed yeah if it feels more like uh, a homecoming like uh, mm. boasting about it afterwards right. or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. telling the story 
We didn't talk a ton about your kind of voice work in it. I don't know if you have anything specific to to tell me about that, how you how you actually sing and and do the harmonies and all that. I try to keep it natural uh, and mm. uh, not to process. And of course, a lot of these skaldic songs are it's bone dry, <laughs> so it's it's very <laughs> very unforgiving. Um, <laughs> Very unforgiving. That's, of course, a little bit... Uh, the vanity gets challenged in, in a sense, but that's that's how it is, you know, and that's how it needs to be in, in that context. So You mean that it doesn't always sound uh, like super polished? Yeah. No, 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 it's supposed to be raw. Yeah. And, I, and I, when I recorded these songs as well, I, I didn't want to have them perfect. Right. You know, um, I didn't want them to be polished perfect and and i wanted them to feel like a live performance mm. which is basically what they were uh, they were recorded uh, as one takes and and in terms of harmonies like when i worked in the ensemble versions or um where you uh, occasionally have more than one singer yeah. um and also in the produced versions i um in several of the songs i i try to follow a nordic tonality that we see in traditional music uh, as well, but also jumping further back in time where we know for sure that they sang in harmony quite far back in time because they have this word called tvisöngur, uh, which basically means two singing. And uh, the modulation of this was very often a parallel fifths or parallel fourths. That's something I, I try to use wherever it made sense to use it. I also um, use quite a bit the oldest um, bowed instrument we have in the north, which is um, it's basically a bowed lyre uh, or a bowed harp. It goes by many different names. Tagelharpa is uh, perhaps the most known name. It is definitely the oldest bowed instrument we have in the north, but we don't know for sure whether or not they had the use of bow in, for instance, the Viking Age. That's something that scholars and, and music archaeologists uh, debate a bit about, whether or not right. it's, it's a Viking Age instrument or not. There are some findings that suggest the bow was present at that period. Uh, I think the oldest finding of a bow is in Ireland. And also there is a recent find in Denmark, in Hedeby in Denmark, which had a, a piece of wood that very much looked like a bow. And it was found next to... Another piece of wood that you can definitely relate to having been an instrument at some point. So in terms of authenticity, that's kind of a decision I I just had to do. And that was something we discussed beforehand as well. What instruments do we actually use here? Uh, how strict should we be? Right. I really wanted to use the Tagelharpa because... Um, uh, I should also mention that the strings Tagelharpa... It's given that name because the tagl, that means horsehair. The strings are made of horsehair. Hmm. And that gives it a really like raw, distinct sound. And also it doesn't have a fingerboard. So it just has an opening like a lyre. So you just touch the strings. You don't push them down to a fingerboard. You just uh, touch them, either with your fingertips or your knuckles. Hmm. Just the sound of them is so... Um, for me, it's a time travel.
I use another wind instrument that you hear some places. Uh, well, the song starts with it. It's a lur. That's the word for it. And uh, it's a very, very old instrument. We have documented use of different variations of lur all the way back to Bronze Age. But this was not a bronze lure. This hmm. was a wooden long lure. And there is actually a living tradition for using this instrument in Norway. It's always been connected with communicating over vast distances, either at, at ship or during battle. or um, Yeah, it's means of communication. Right. In later times, it was used a lot out in the pastures by shepherds and such mm. to communicate, of course, but also to uh, scare off predators and that kind of things. Can you describe what your wooden lure looks like? Traditionally, they are made of spruce. Um, basically, you take a branch and you hollow it and you glue it together and then you wrap a birch bark around it. So it's a birch bark. Oh. That's also an example of authentic sound because they are locked to the harmonic scale. So the range, the, the number of octaves you get within the harmonic scale is defined by the length, of course, mm. and your lip ability <laughs> in a way um and then you can of course discuss uh, whether or not the musical ideal would be the same today as it was but you have to remember that this is a living tradition and also it's so intuitive you know i've experimented on that theory by giving an instrument like that to children mm. and um if they manage the blowing technique they basically play the same as i would do um, just intuitively so that's an instrument I use in the song. I use it um, in a very simple way. It's more to um, get a sense of that calling. It's almost like a kind of battle call at the beginning. I yeah, think. Like it it's is. just kind of in the background. Yeah, uh, it sets the mood in a way and it kind of draws you in. So the drums I use is, um, I use a lot of large frame drums with deer hide, uh, raw hide. These are also instruments that I made myself traditionally. Um, I didn't shoot the animal, but I did everything else, like the skinning and the whole process where you put it into a river to, um, because you don't shave the fur off, you basically kill the hair sacks mm. and then scrape off afterwards and then you mount it on a drum and let it dry so it, it's quite a cool process where you in a way sort of um, brings the animal back to life so i use a lot of these uh, drums i use a lot of other percussive things like i use a lot of deer hoofs like shakers made out of deer toes basically oh, cool. like the nails of the hoofs and um, bells and sticks Shakers uh, in various forms that I make out of hide and stones. And um, I, I try to do a lot of things like that. You, you talk a lot about, you know, what's authentic, what's the instruments, where they come from, their history. You seem very aware and you must do a ton of research because you're aware of like the latest discoveries and when things are dated and all that. So when you're writing music for something like like uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, like how important is it for you to be 
100% authentic? Where do you give yourself some leeway for something that maybe sounds authentic, but maybe you know isn't uh, 100% from the Viking era or from that age? Like, how do you negotiate that kind of line between what's what we would consider what we would say is authentic and and where you can be a little bit more modern or or bring you know our modern interpretation to it well i would say i do both because it's being portrayed to a modern audience and so i think a balance between expectations and also pushing the limits in terms of authenticity um or presenting authenticity i mean so I would say I do both because some songs are very true to sources in terms of tonality and instrumentation, and some are more freely based on, I would say. Mm. Also in terms of instrumentation, especially in the expression of the produced versions, because another element that we did not talk about in terms of uh, how the song sounds is these huge drones that are very much present in my music in in that format. These are also things where I um, play around with these instruments, sample them and uh, process them to make these drones, whether it's horns or the bowed instruments I used or combining them, creating new songs. Um, So that's a very modern thing and creates that modern, very visual soundscape which is I would say very important uh, in a production like this so and also you have to remember that even though we know we can sort of decipher um, quite a bit of what music might have sounded like back then or how a skaldic performance or a poetic performance might have been conducted fact is we don't know uh, there's a lot of things we don't know. It's um, mm-hmm. There are still a lot of open questions. So playing with these things makes sense. And um, yeah, it's it's art when you come down to... Uh, it, it, it's not a dissertation I made for a museum. Then I would perhaps be very strict. But this is... Um, it's art, it's entertainment. It's supposed to have a specific function for the audience, the users. Um So it was only natural to combine authenticity with relevance Mm -hmm. in a way. And that's kind of what I do with my music with Wodruna as well. It's really important for me. I make music for for the living, not the dead. Um, Also in terms of the themes I focus on and uh, the ideas behind the song. There are so many things from the past that are just as relevant today as they were when the tradition was alive and... Uh, when these myths were part of the daily life or contemporary. So I'd rather focus on them uh, because ultimately they are the ones you want your audience to connect with, with the music and the lyrics. And and, uh, so it makes sense to focus on what's relevant as well.
You can listen to House Ryotter Skullcrusher on the album Assassin's Creed Valhalla, The Wave of Giants, published by Ubisoft Music and Lakeshore Records and featuring a collection of Einar Selvig's original songs from the game's soundtrack. I'm Charles Adam Foster Simard from Ubisoft. This episode of Game Makers was edited by Manu Bachet. Special thanks to our friends at Ubisoft Music, Simon Landry and Anne Langourieux, and to Assassin's Creed Valhalla's audio director, Aldo Sampeo. Remember to subscribe to Game Makers and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.